we're going to be in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. And we're going to be in verse 15, and I'm going to read to 22, and then we're going to get started. So amen when you're there. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the sides. I mention that every week, just in case. You can have them. They're free. They're free, right? Yeah, they're free. (laughs) Just giving things away. Amen? Are we there? 18, yeah. 18, chapter chapter 18, verse 15. So it goes like this. If your brother sins, mine says sins, but I know it's yours, New King James, King James says against you. It says, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Then, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses, And if he refuses to listen even to the church, it says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done by them for my Father who is in heaven. Verse 20 says, for, there, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to them, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Lord, we love you. We love your word and we thank you for it, Lord God. And we love that by your spirit, by your word. Um, it changes us, and it transforms us, and it forms us, Lord God. And, and so I pray tonight, Lord, that um, we would listen and have our ears open, Lord God, to what you have to tell us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill each and every person within this room. And I pray that you would give us eyes and ears, Lord God, to hear the word with gladness and to know that you love us, that you love us so much that you died for us and that you are here to instruct us, to continue to guide us, and to continue to show us the way, how to live for you and how to live for others. How to live with you and how to live with others. And so I pray tonight, Lord God, that this message would be edifying, encouraging, and that you would guide my lips, guide my heart, because your children here are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, if you weren't here on Sunday, anybody here on Sunday? Wow, a lot of people <laughs> here on Sunday. Okay, well, I talked a lot about um, how God designed the Christian life to work. Anybody remember that? Really? Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm doing a bad job then. How God designed the Christian life to work here. There, there is a way that Jesus operates that operates differently from this world. Kind of tracking with me? So there's a way that Jesus operates that operates differently from the world, from this world, this present world. It's, not, it's really not based off of what I know. That's not how it works. It's not based off what I, know, what I know. It's not based off of anyone's opinions, and it is definitely not lived out by how I feel. Right? We don't do that. But we operate, we move, and we live based off of what the Word of God says. Amen? Now, 
what the Word of God says is that you and I here live in what we call an upside-down kingdom, right? It's upside-down. I say it's right-side-up, meaning if you and I have put our faith into Jesus, it's like, I'm a follower of Jesus, this means we are now living in such a way that runs in the opposite direction of this world. And so we should know this because this world, right, will tell you to just live it up. Right, you ever heard that YOLO? No? <laughs> you ever heard that? You only live once. Right, so like people tell you YOLO, right? You want life, go get it. Right, that's what kind of what we grew up as, grew up on. You just, you want life, you go and get it, you pursue it. Right? But Jesus would say, you want to live? Like, you want to know what it actually means to be alive in my kingdom? Okay, first thing, you need to die. That's what he says. You want to experience life and life abundant? You need to die. What he's saying is that you need to die to yourself and forget what you thought living truly was. That's what it means. Not physically, but you need to die to yourself. You need to forget. You need to start over, right? Like you want life? You want that life abundant? You need to die. And, and the list goes on. Like this world will tell you just follow your heart. You ever heard that one? Like just follow your heart. You just give in to those desires and compulsions. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But Jeremiah would say the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, what this saying is that your heart lies to you. It'll lie to you. It'll deceive you. It'll trick you. It makes you to believe that what you feel and what you think is the ultimate truth. There is no other truth. What I know, what I believe, what I feel, that's what I, that's it. And so what happens is that when anybody else says something different, if it doesn't line up with what I think and what I know, then it must not be right. This is why the world is the way it is. If you just look around, everybody thinks Everybody believes, everybody feels they're right in their own eyes. But Proverbs would say that at the end of that life, and we read Proverbs, these guys read Proverbs, right here in the front, they read Proverbs every day. Proverbs would say that at the end of that life, it only leads to death. And so Jesus really doesn't go after your behavior. He doesn't go after your finances. You see, but he goes after the very thing that, control, that controls and drives all that we do. You see, what he goes after is my heart and your heart. Because even after being saved, we are still fighting against that lie. Like we are still fighting against the lie that we get to decide what life should look like. This is what it means when Galatians says, our flesh sets desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Meaning we are now given a choice to thrive as followers of Jesus. Thrive to flourish as humans, or we can continue to give in those, into those things that only rot out or decay the human soul. You feel me? You guys tracking with me? God did not design life to decay. He designed it to flourish. He designed it to flourish, and not just individually like with us here, but I'm talking together. He, he designed it to be together, to flourish together. This has always been a together thing, and I mentioned this on Sunday. Now, what's being introduced to us is really what we call kingdom ethics, 
right? So this is, that, this is what 18 is talking about from 17. Actually, from 18. Uh, now, what's being introduced is kingdom ethics. Jesus is saying, really, in this passage, this is what my people look like in my kingdom, right? This, this is what my people look like who put their trust in me, who has their faith in me. This is what my people look like here, and guess what? They're not going to step all over each other and say and, and to compete one, uh, against one another. In, in fact, they're going to put the other person first before themselves. This is what Sunday's message was all about. The disciples then asked, right, in 18.1, the disciples asked then, who's the greatest in the kingdom? See, in this passage, what they were really asking is, which one of us gets to sit in the highest seat, Jesus? And I, I, Peter probably, it was probably Peter right? Like, I walked on water, so it must be me. But really, what they were asking is, who's the greatest here? And so what Jesus did, what did he do? He brought a little child over to himself. He called a little child over to himself, and he said, this child, this child is the greatest in my kingdom. Now, he wasn't saying for his disciples to become childish. He was saying for them to become childlike. You see, children, children are teachable. Seriously, their minds are like a sponge. You ever heard that? They are teachable. Children are simple. And most importantly, and something we all need to understand, they are dependent. They ain't scared to cry out for help. You know that once they fall, it's like, Wah! right? I know some people, lives are up in flames and things are going crazy and they'll tell you everything's okay. Children are dependent. See, Jesus is showing his disciples that a child a child is humble in nature. And he's saying if you are not converted like this child, if you don't humble yourself, Jesus said there isn't a place for you in my kingdom. See, what he's saying is my kingdom doesn't operate with selfish ambition and worldly desires. Because Jesus knew on this day his disciples were only thinking about one thing. Anybody know what that is? Themselves. They were only thinking about one thing. You see, this type of self-oriented, self-absorbed, it's all about me. What do I get out of this in ministry? Jesus is saying that this will only hurt you. And not only hurt you, but even the people around you. I, I said this on Sunday, that even in the secular world, so, so this isn't just Jesus saying this, this is outside source, backing up what Jesus is saying. In the secular world, world psychologists say that people who are only self-centered, who only think about themselves, often feel threatened and anxiously insecure about other people. Like, what a peaceful way to live. So how does Jesus approach this situation? Well, first of all, this is the truth. The kingdom of God, is, it's in the title, God's kingdom is not about me. God's kingdom is about God. And second, he brings this child-centered stage to help us see that the kingdom of God has always been about others. He warns his disciples that any self-seeking, self-centered, prideful ambitions will only spread like a wildfire. It's much easier to live for yourself than it is to live for Jesus and others. Why? Because we've been doing it longer. And yet Jesus is saying that this kind of life will only consume you and consume the people around you. 
He's saying this attitude can become a stumbling block to other Christians who desire to know what it's like to follow after Jesus. See, we are not designed to be stumbling blocks in the kingdom. Warren Wiersbe says we're designed to be stepping stones, not stumbling blocks. See, we were designed here in our church to look out for each other's best interest. Anybody doing that? See, we, we were designed to help each other succeed in life. Like, could you imagine what kind of place this would be if everyone's concern in the church was for the next guy? Like, could you imagine what kind of place this would be if all of us only looked out for each other? This place would thrive. You see, the definition of humility, and Jesus is giving a lesson on humility, is not thinking less about yourself. It's only thinking about yourself less. Maybe not even thinking about yourself at all. See, what Jesus is trying to say is that life begins to flourish Life begins to work here when God and others become more important than you. See, you and I were always created to be God-centered and others-oriented, and this is a together thing. Amen? Amen. Now, with this in mind, um, God's ways are perfect. Anybody agree? God's ways are perfect. It's always been perfect. Uh, God is perfect. Amen? God's kingdom is perfect. We agree? God's people, we do our best. <laughs> Amen? We always do our best. And what Jesus is saying in this text is that there's going to be times where we might offend each other. Can we agree? Amen? We're going we're gonna to rub each other the wrong way. We come from all different places, spaces, different age, and things get in the way. And if we're humble enough to admit we have faults, Okay, so check this out. It's still in the context of humility. If we can humble ourselves, each and every one of us, to admit that we have faults, then we should be able to approach each other rightly. But that's not always the case. Why? Hearts get broken. Feelings get hurt. We feel betrayed. We feel stepped on. And these are real things. And yet Jesus would tell us to not do what we instinctively would do. So there are two types of people in this world. You ready? The first person, he will hold it in. He or she will hold it in because they don't like conflict at all. Jesus is saying, we don't do that. Not over here. It doesn't help the situation and it doesn't solve anything, right? The second person doesn't mind conflict at all. That, that's me, right? In fact, this person will go and tell that other person exactly what they're doing. Right? Doesn't matter who's there, doesn't matter who hears, right? You're getting it. Jesus is saying that even this is the wrong way to approach your brother and sister. So the first thing he wants us to do as his people and in how we operate together, the first thing he wants us to do is that if we've been offended by another believer is to first talk to them in private, Amen. That's what the text says. See, that other person might not have any idea what you're talking about. Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. They might have no idea what they've done wrong. 
And so when other people get involved in this stage, they will usually pick the side of the person who's been offended. Right? Why? Because those other people most likely heard only one side. And second, usually we'll go to all our friends in the church. Usually we'll tell all our friends. And so when we approach someone who's offended us, we are to approach them, Jesus says, in private. But the second thing here is this, how we approach them. Jesus is saying when we approach that person, we have to have the goal in mind to win them and not the argument. Anybody love that? Right? We have to have the goal in mind to win the person and not the argument. Because you can win the argument, but you can lose the brother or sister. Right? Let me say it again. You can win the argument, you can be right, but you can lose your brother or sister. And so how we approach anybody in this case is a crucial step to fixing a lot of problems early on before it gets any crazier. So I found it, I found it always best to cool down first, right? Take a breather, cool down, let it settle because my emotions can get the best of me. And my, lo- my heart loves to pay back evil for evil. See, Paul says this in Galatians 6 that we are to enter into that space. If someone transgress against us, if something offends us, we are to uh, enter into that space with a spirit of gentleness. And the motive behind what we're doing is always looking to restore that relationship, to restore that person, never going into that space to condemn anybody, never going into that space to judge them, to shame them, to guilt trip them, but to address the situation with the intention of restoration. Amen? This Greek word, restore, in Galatians 6 is a medical word, and it means to set a broken bone. Broken bones? This takes a lot of patience and tenderness for healing to take place. This is the same way that Jesus wants us as a church to engage with each other. Now, if you've done all that, and that doesn't work, like I've approached this brother, I've approached that sister, he or she has not been listening, my heart was in the right place, and I only want things to be right. He says, okay, verse 16, you are allowed to bring two or three people with you. Now, we're going to read that. It says this, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more people two or, or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Now, this method, just so we know, is given to us as believers here. All right? Believers. It's for those of us who are in the church. And so if that person doesn't want to listen to you, maybe they'll listen to other members. Tracking with me? Now, it's not wise to pick people in the church that will most likely side with you. (laughs) Like your best friends. Or in your family, maybe. But Christians that are dependable and also coming in with the right heart as well. Ones that will address both people. Why? Because just in case both of them are wrong. You never know. You never know in some situations until you hear both sides. And if this person still doesn't want to listen to what Jesus, or still doesn't want to listen, then Jesus says this. He says this to bring him in front of the church. Now, the reason why there's so many steps to this and how we deal with all of this is because it's not just a formula that will always lead to restoration 
although it is the right way to handle sin within the church or, or, or confrontation between people, but it is also for that person to see the grace and the mercy that God has on their lives for the offender. That we have a God that is willing to address sin, address problems in a way that gives us the chance after chance after chance after chance to see the fault within our hearts. Never to shame us, but to save us. Never to condemn us, but to help us. So there is a story in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, about a boy who was caught, a father-son who was caught in sexual immorality. Uh, what Paul does is, what he does is he addresses the issue with the church and says, this is not okay. Like, this is absolutely not going to fly, right? And so, in fact, to let anybody continue in sin and error is to not love them rightly. So what is he doing? He's addressing it. And so in the grand scheme of it all, what this is trying to say is that to not listen to the counsel around you, to not listen to the people who are only here for your good and best interest is, saying you, is basically saying, you know, I know what's right and I don't care what I'm doing. And I've seen that over and over and over again. And Jesus would say, well, you can have as much of that as you want. You're just not doing it here. Jesus is saying you can have as much of that as you want. You're just not doing it here. For the sake of other members, for the purpose of protecting sheep, and God willing, this is the whole point, you might come to yourself. The whole point is that you might come to yourself when you realize that how you've been acting was the opposite of how God wants his church to flourish. And guess what? We are here to always receive again, amen? We are here with open arms all the time because that's what forgiveness looks like. See, in 2 Corinthians, that's what we see with this person who was in sin. It says that he was casted out. Paul says, deliver him to Satan. Just, just pretty much give him over to what he's doing if he doesn't want to listen. He was casted out of the church to only realize what he was doing was wrong. And it says that Paul told the church in Corinth to now receive him back, to comfort him, to forgive him. Amen? Verse 18 to 20 says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done, by, done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. What Jesus is saying here is that God is in the details. See, he is in the midst of all that we do here in the church, how we operate, how we live together. You see, I think the hardest thing for any of us to do is to go to that person with the right heart who's offended us. That is so hard. Coming with a heart that just wants to restore, not to shame. One that wants to make right, not just be right. And I know this is extremely hard when that person or whoever that is really hurt us or even worse. But Jesus is saying that this is what my people look like in my kingdom. This is what I instruct you guys to do. This is how I want you guys to live. And to do this and to do this rightly always leads to the best results for everybody. See, Jesus came to us with the intention to save us and not condemn us. 
Jesus came to us with the heart to restore and not cast us out. And even in our sin, he only came to make things right. Amen? See, we are Christians are called to do the same. This is the way God called us to live with each other. How to approach each other rightly when someone else is offended. This is where the kingdom works and will always work. And next week, we're going to get into the importance of forgiveness. Amen? Amen.